1: Mike's on He's ready to go On the fan New York Sports Radio Mike's on Mike's on He'll get you the sports any way that he can It's Mike Francis
0: up On the Fan Sports Radio 66 And 101.9 FM
2: Right, we come to you on this Friday evening at 6 o'clock. Take you right up to JJ at 7. Come to you, of course, brought to you by the good folks at Cosmega's Tequila. Uh, brought to you by those who drink it each and every day. We're here on the 3rd, which is very much like a holiday day. I played golf today, and the place was packed. I mean, the golf course has been more crowded this spring than I've ever seen it, uh, no matter where I've played. And um, no matter what course I've been on, it's been very crowded. And, uh... But today was jammed, and it was hot, really hot and then uh, just about five o 'clock I mean I came back and went for a swim after I uh, finished playing golf, and uh, then the rain started, and I tell you there 's nothing since i was and I grew up as a kid. Very close to the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, I lived on, uh, there was no street between myself and the, and the ocean. So I lived on the ocean side. So when I could, I could walk down the block and it was, it was right there. So it was there and the sun was there and the winter was there all year. So I grew up on the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, I, I grew up in the beach. You know, that's all I know is the water. So um, uh, nothing was better than after a sunny, hot day where about 5 o'clock, the skies would open and you'd get one of these wicked, thunderstorms. We just had one uh, here uh, on the North Shore of Long Island. We just had one. Might still be going on, as a matter of fact, last hour or so, so drive safe if you're in one right now. There's a lot of them in the area, but uh, there's just something about that uh, summer afternoon summer rain. You know, it's powerful, it's fierce, doesn't last very long. Usually means a nice day the next day. Obviously uh, when it's late in the day, it doesn't hurt very much. Um, and cools things off a little bit depending on where you are but uh, like i said there's nothing better than that wicked storm when as long as it doesn't do any damage i mean i didn't see any uh thunder or lightning in the storm just a lot of heavy rain and we haven't had very much rain but uh those kind of storms in the summer late in the afternoon uh, i've always been fascinated by those and they, you know you can almost smell the ozone with them you can almost it, you know they have a smell to them if you if you've ever noticed if you've ever gone out in them you know you know we used to go running down to the beach in them and you know uh, uh, they were just uh, always something special about them and that kind of wicked summer rain in uh, late in the afternoon especially after a very warm day and today was a hot humid Overcast at times, but still uh, a hot, humid day. They're playing golf out in Michigan. Uh, not a great field, um, but again, the guys who were the favorites are right there. You have Kirk, who I didn't know Kirk's story very well. He's back on. He he won a couple of weeks ago on the uh, junior on the lower circuit. Uh, he's been away with some problems, uh, you know, substance issues, uh, depression. But he came back and he leads the tournament. He bogeyed eighteen. He had a, he was thirteen under, and now he's twelve under. Uh, Deschambeau is right there, as we knew he would be. Uh, yeah, he was the heavy favorite this week, and and Webb Simpson continues to play well, and now he finds himself. Uh, he and Kirk are both twelve under. A uh, bunch of players are eleven under, including DeChambeau. Um Wolf's eleven under. Kisner's ten under. Um, Fowler started off badly today. He, I think, he's either 6 or 7. Let me see if he, I, I hit the ball in the fairway on 18. I don't know if he birdied that hole. If he didn't, he'll be 6, which will he's safe to get in. He's 6. He shot a 71 today. He's 6 under. He's got a lot of work to do. I gave you one of my long shots this week was List at 135-1. Uh, to one. You know, he's 8 on the par, which puts him 4 strokes off the lead, puts him, right now in 21st place, but st- tied, for, you know, tied for 21st place with a bunch of other guys. Uh, there's a whole bunch of players who were, uh, if you get to seven, there's 30 players that are seven on the par or, or better. Seven, eight, nine, a couple of tens, a couple of elevens, and then a couple of twelves. That's Simpson and Kirk as they get ready to play the weekend. So that's what you got in golf. In the other sports, every day, You're going to continue the story. Today, 31 MLB players test positive. You want to say that's a few. You want to say it's not a few. Okay. The heat shut down there. Facility. uh, you got other players abdicating every day. Every day, there is going to be a challenge to all these team sports as they try to get to late July. I've talked about that in the last couple of days. It's going to be a very long couple of weeks here. As the country continues to break out, as the numbers in the country are in overall are staggering. Yes, there are fewer people by percentage dying. The reason why the uh, number that it's, it's hitting is lower is in terms of it's younger. So they have a better cause and effect with the virus because they don't get it as sick. And not as many wind up in the hospital and not as many are winding up dying since the number has been lower in the states as these other states have exploded. But exploded they have. And remember, this is only the first wave. There's a belief that there is a second wave coming. So, I mean, this is, again, all the things that these leagues have to deal with. Do I think it's a foregone conclusion? The people I talk to in the sports, I think they what I would say is they're guardedly optimistic. I think they all know that it could shut down. I think they believe that something will happen to the better and they'll get a chance to play. Here's the one thing. The last couple of days before these teams take the field for the first time will be real gut-check, soul-searching time because they're going to get together, the owners, and they're going to say, okay, Are we in it or not? If we're not committed to stay through the storm, if we're not committed to face some challenges here and some health issues here and some fights here and some issues here and some bad press at times here, then we should shut it down before we start because the one thing, as I've told you, is there's a good chance and even a solid chance that these things might not get off the ground. But when they start, it will take Armageddon to get them to shut down because that doesn't work for them financially. There's enormous pressure on baseball to get to the postseason. The NFL, obviously, they come from a position of power. They dictate. See, the other networks, the other other sports need the networks. The networks need the NFL. The NFL can go anywhere with their game. They can always find a suitor. Now, I'm not saying they don't try to make sure they have the networks in a good place. They do. They're not dumb. They know who their best customers are. But they can go anywhere with their product. Their product is king, and they know it. The other sports, they know that they get in line behind the NFL, way behind the NFL. And this year, remember, come November... These networks expect to spend a very good amount of time in early November dedicating their coverage and their resources to a presidential election. That is a good 7 to 10 days of very heavy coverage in the last weeks. Before, after, etc. A lot of manpower, a lot of technical manpower. So that, that's a very big thing. And an important thing, one thing that they know they have to spend resources on. So you have that, and you have the NFL in November. They don't need a lot else. They're not really looking for that much else. This year they do have something special. They will have the Masters, and the Masters is big enough to say, hey, we're here. No one, no one ever bats an eye at the Masters. They say yes. Yes. The other networks would crawl to get the Masters. CBS will never do anything wrong to lose it, but, and they will always cater to the Masters, but there's a long line that would jump. They'd walk over hot coals to get to the Masters. That's how big that event is. But nothing's going to happen there. They love CBS. But the point is, you have the NFL. You have the Masters. You have the presidential election. That's a very, very, and we don't know about college football yet. You've heard a couple of guys say, hey, I'm just as comfortable playing in the winter. A couple of coaches even said that today. I could play this, this fall, but I can also play this winter in the spring. I'm fine with that. They said They've even said they're fine if it's February, March, April. They're okay. They're fine with the spring football schedule. And remember, the spring quarter is a very light quarter. The the spring quarter becomes very light other than the NCAA tournament for network stuff until you get to the NBA. And there's plenty of room there, plenty of room in March, plenty of room in those time of years for stuff. So that would work well. So they, they know they will be treated very well from a TV standpoint if they move to that spot, which is still very much up in the air. And these teams can talk about getting players in, I mean getting spectators in. Hey, my answer to them is crawl before you walk. Get the product on the field. Get the games underway. In an orderly fashion. And then worry about. A way to get the spectators back in your stadium. First things first. Get the product on the field first. It's going to be hard enough for you to do. This is obviously kind of an extended. Uh, anniversary weekend for the fan. They have stuff. They have uh, shows all weekend. For you. They have guys doing shows together who, have, you know, who used to work on The Fan. They're bringing back hosts. They're bringing back some stuff like there'll be a Mike and the Mad Dog hour on Sunday night. There'll be uh, presentations from other shows. I don't think they're doing any I miss. I think they felt that, to be honest with you, I think they felt that in the way Imus went out and the climate of the country right now that it didn't work right now to use Imus even though his body of work is much greater than just those just the end but I think they decided that it wasn't just the right time so because anything that is done that honors the anniversary of the station should also include Imus and Imus I'm sure you'll hear in some bits from time to time but it should always include Imus because he was that integral as I've talked about the other day you know There's no history of the station. There's no station without him there to be the foundation. He was the foundation from which we launched everything, including Mike and the Mad Dog. Would there have been a Mike and the Mad Dog without IMS? There could have been, but I don't know if there would have been a fan without IMS. That's the question I can't answer. I think there could have been a Mike and the Mad Dog, but I don't know if there could have been a Mike and the Mad Dog without a fan, and I'm not sure there could have been a fan without IMS. So when you add one and one together, the answer might be, or there's a very good chance it might be, that then we never would have been a Mike and the Mad Dog with And he was an integral part of our success because we both worked on his show previously, to being together, and we made appearances into his show through the years periodically. He'd come on our show, we'd go on his show. Uh, you know I think we went on his probably two times for every one he came on ours, or maybe even three times for the one he came on us, but we 'd go on. You know there were big events or stuff like that we 'd go on and you know have a little fun. So he should always be remembered. I mean and i 'm sure I think people understand who have filed the station, what his role was. But you'll hear a lot of different things like Dave uh, and Dave Sims and Ed are doing a show together. And uh, I think uh, Steve and Russ Salzberg are doing a show together. And I'm sure there's a whole bunch of different ones that I haven't remembered that will be there too. So a lot of the old ones uh, will be a part of this weekend, including some stuff. So you'll hear some old uh, Mike and the Mad Dog bits, which they have. They told me what uh, they have a lot of the Mike and the Mad Dog post 2000. Uh, Two or two thousand and three, because the first years when they train, when, when they had so much stuff, they sent it to a place, and a lot of it was stored and destroyed by accident it was you know in those days you have to you had, it was a very big issue of storing stuff it 's not like it is now you weren 't living in a digital world at that time, and they had it took a massive massive amount of storage space to store all this stuff and a lot of of the early stuff a lot of the 80s stuff 80s and the 90s uh, didn't make it most of the stuff is pretty much after 2002 pretty much right up to when Doc left so a lot of 2002, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 he left in I think uh, if I remember it was August of 8 when he left so I mean that's a you know, those are the basic years you're going to hear most of the vignettes from that you hear with the Mike and the look stuff. There's a couple of things that are older, but not that much. So I'll be with you until 7 tonight. I'll have time for calls. We'll get it all rolling right after this. All right, we're back as we take you right up until uh, 7 this evening on this July 3rd on this holiday weekend. Uh, And again, as we said, the fan will be uh, basically remembering its 33 years and having some uh, anniversary highlights and some uh, blasts from the past over the next couple of days, so keep listening for that. You know, to me there's certain words that just you know, you have favorite words that just conjure up images. And you just like the images that are conjured by the word. Like, my favorite word in the English language is summer. Because, what, what is, when you think of summer, do you ever think of anything bad? You think of, you know, brilliant sunshine. You think of pleasant activity. You think of, you know, long days, warmth, you know, uh, whatever it may be, the beach. You know, if if you're a horse player, Saratoga, uh, golf, whatever it may be, but to me, nobody thinks of anything bad when I think of the summer. It's always positive, it's always vibrant, it's always you know exciting. That's that, that to me. The summer, my fe- second favorite is freedom. I mean, that's a, to me, it always has been. I mean, I, the worst thought I've ever had in my life is could you, I imagine being locked up? I could not even, like you never see. When you watch any kind of movie, when you see people get incarcerated, you say, "My God, could you imagine spending one hour in a place in in a cell or something like that, And, and just having your freedoms taken away?" And my third is game time. You know, always, always looking forward to the next game, and we've had that taken away from us for a very, very long time now. Way too long, and hopefully hopefully within a couple of weeks here, we'll get back to where every day uh, and maybe round the clock for a while because everyone deserves that. And let me say this. I've, I've told people this. I've had this discussion with people in our industry, the broadcasting industry. I think if games are played, the ratings on radio and TV are going to be enormous. I think people are starved to have games back. They will, I mean... And if it's big games, you know, playoff games, Stanley Cup games or NBA games or even, can you imagine, tell me you wouldn't sit home tonight and wish that you had the Yankees playing, you know, the Nationals or the Yankees playing the Mets or the Mets playing the Phillies or whatever tonight uh, when I get off the air, five minutes of the game, game time. Hopefully only a couple of weeks away. And what goes quicker what has ever gone faster in your life than summer? Winter's the same length as summer. Does winter ever feel like the same length as summer? Do February and July ever feel like the same amount of time? I mean, summer's gone in a blink. Just in a blink. All right, and Bernie. July 4th. We've got, got July 4th numbers because baseball is a July 4th day. And can you have, from a Yankee standpoint, Bernie digging in July 4th, 2004 against the Mets, batting leadoff, as a matter of fact. Mets won the game 6-5. I think it was a Ty Wigginson game, if I remember right. I think he had a big hit in the game. But um, Bernie led off that day. It was Bernie Jeter. Went four for five. at a homer. Three RBIs. Three runs scored. July 4th, 2004. Forty years before July 4th. Now the Yankees won a pennant race that whole year. With especially the Orioles and the White Sox. July 4th, and who would be a more of a symbol of July 4th? If baseball, just like the beach, if baseball is the, is the setting of a July 4th, who is more a setting of a July 4th baseball game than having Mickey Mantle on the plate? Eighth inning, Yankees trail. The Minnesota Twins 5-3. Oh, excuse me, 5-4. Bottom of the eighth. Al Worthington on the mound. Jim Bounton, the pitcher of record for the Yankees on the losing side. Bounton, obviously, the guy who writes ball 4 and exposes Mickey Mantle in a big way. Two of the world, as a matter of fact. But here's Bounton on the losing end. Al Worthington, a journeyman. A guy who was never very good but pitched 14 years in the majors. One of those guys who hangs around. You know those starters who hang around and you say, Boy, is that, how's that guy still in the majors? Well, that was Al Worthington. So here he is. And Mannell strolls to the plate in the eighth. Two on, two out. Elston Howard on deck. Well, instead of doing what a lot of guys do and walk Mickey, he gets one that Mickey can reach. And Mickey hits a three-run homer into the deck and right in the bottom of the eighth. And the Yanks go on to a uh, 7-5 to win over the Twins. And the winning pitcher is Jim Bouton. So there's Mickey having a one-one for Bouton with a three-run homer in the bottom of the eighth, pulling it out against Al Worthington on July fourth. A lot of Yankee fans went home happy on that day. Uh, at, I think that game. Let me see for a second to make sure that game was played in Yankee Stadium. I just want to make sure. So somebody will call me on it if I if I uh, if it turns out it was played in. Uh, In Minnesota, I don't think it was. I think it was played in in Yankee Stadium, but let me make sure. July 4th, 2004. Uh, 7-5 Yankees at Yankee Stadium. Uh, Game lasted 2 hours and 44 minutes. Imagine that. Game 7-5. The starters both went... Into the ninth. Well, Worthington pitched eight. Bounten, uh gave it up after uh, eight and let Pete Mickelson. Remember Pete Mickelson? Pete Mickelson got the save. And the Yankees won it uh, 7-5 with the 3 and homer by Mantle in the bottom of the eighth. Uh, and Bounton won his seventh game that day. And the Yankees went to 44-30 and uh, on the season. Mickey uh, lost the MVP to Brooks Robinson that year. Brooks had a great year. I thought Mickey had an MVP year that year. He had 35 homers, 111 RBIs at 303. His last big year, the last year he was really Mickey Mantle uh, and you know had the pretty big series, three homers, eight RBIs in the series against the uh, Cardinals, but they lost in seven games to the Cardinals, but uh, that great Cardinal team. And then that was the end of the dynasty, as we know. Mickey hung around for four more years. If you go to the day before on today, Mantle had two homers on this day in 1958. And again, two homers, 17th and 18th, in 1959 uh, for Whitey Ford. Uh, A lot of times, or 58, excuse me, 1958 for Whitey Ford. He went two for three with two homers at four RBIs. And uh, Whitey Ford went to 10-3 and on the season. And, you know, the old adage was that when Whitey pitched Mickey Homer, that was the old, you know, the old, the old story all the time, was that whenever Whitey pitched, Mickey seemed to always have a home run. Uh, maybe it just seemed that way, but it just seemed that way a lot. All right, let's get some calls in. Blair and Maine starts us off. What's up, Blair? How you doing on July 3rd? Okay, what's going on? What's up?
1: How you doing? Good, what's up? Um. Nothing. My thing is here. I want to get to baseball, but we may not have it because Mike Trout is a well-known player for the Major League Baseball. And
2: oh, thanks! Listen, listen, you listen, you bum! Listen, listen! I was in a good mood tonight. You're bumming me out with your call. Thanks, bye. Goodbye, please. Joe in Jersey, what's up, Joe? Uh, First time, long, long time. Yeah, thank Uh, you.
1: Mike, are you uh, familiar with the Star Ledger in Jersey? Excuse me. The Star Ledger, the newspaper.
2: I, I'm familiar with it. I don't read it, but I'm familiar with it, yes.
1: Sunday or so ago, they had baseball, the all-time team. These 26 players make up the ultimate roster in history of the sport.
2: Well, I mean, you've seen them do the 30-man team, you know, a couple of years ago. They did the big 30-man team on television, if you remember. So I, you saw that one. That's, that's the last one I had seen, but okay.
1: Paul uh, is conspicuous by his absence on this team.
2: Who is Someone who you both love, we both love. You love him and I love him. Who? The Mick. Well, that's just ridiculous. That's just dumb. Okay, I mean, so but listen, but all it is is subjective. That's all. I mean, you know. So they decided what outfielder did they take over Mickey Mantle?
1: Okay, they had, of course, Willie, Babe. Let's see, the other outfielder is. Mm -hmm. uh,
2: So they didn't have it. They only had three outfielders.
1: Bonds, Harry Bonds.
2: They only had three outfielders.
1: Yeah, but
2: listen, they had eight guys on the bench. So Joe, and they didn't take Mickey Mail. Listen, you know what? They're just dumb. I mean, so listen, but again, it's just somebody's opinion. Who cares? I don't care. You okay, know, but again, what's the right, difference? Right. Who cares?
1: One of their criteria was the best seven years of a player's career. And
2: if you take Mickey's own... Listen, career, listen, <laughs> if you go 51 to 62... Offensively, Mantle blows Willie Mays away. Okay, it's not even worth discussing. Now, Willie Mays was, and and I'm not starting. And thanks for the call. And I'm not starting a Willie Mays Mickey Mantle argument because it's silly. Okay, they're both two of the greatest players of all time, but they were very different players. Mantle was not the defensive player that Mays was. Mantle was a guy whose wheels were gone before he was, you know, thirty years, thirty-two years old. Willie had better years late because he kept himself in better shape. Mickey dissipated himself. He had bad injuries, and he was a drunk. We all know it. Okay, he was a big liver. Willie took care of himself. Give Willie credit for that. And Willie had better years later. We all know that. But if you want to talk about them, this is the way to look at it realistically. Manon was a better offensive player. Willie was a better all-around player. That's all. Willie was a better base runner. Mickey was a good base runner. Willie was a dynamic base runner. Willie was a better defensive player. Okay, He was a better defensive player. No question about it. Mickey was a better offensive player. No question about it. Mickey was a better offensive player. Mays never reached the heights that Mantle reached offensively. Never. So, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, though. We have both two of the greatest players of all time. Why pit them against themselves? Why pit Mantle and Mays against DiMaggio? They're all that great. So, listen, if you cut the team down to only three outfielders, most likely your three outfielders are going to be Ruth, Cobb, and somebody. Maybe DiMaggio. So you leave Willie Mays off that team. You leave Mantle off that team. You leave Frank Robinson off that team or Stan Musial off that team. You didn't even mention Ted Williams might be the greatest hitter of all time. So, I, I mean, you, listen, wherever, te- wherever you cut the team, you're going to leave somebody off it. That's all there also is to it. So it's, you know, it's really silly. They're, you're talking about in baseball, over 100 years – If you go position players, there have probably been 50 great guys who we can fight about. 50. Here's how I would look at it first. The first way you're on that list is this. At one point, you had to be the best player in baseball. Okay? There was a point at which there was not a question in the world that Mickey Mantle was not only the best player in baseball, there were people calling him the best player who ever lived at a certain point. He did not sustain that long enough, but he had years where he was on that level with power and speed. 56, 57, those years, he was utterly brilliant. A switch hitter with dynamic speed and dynamic power. Put have, with a 500 on-base percentage and a, you know 1.1 or 1.2 OPS. I mean, again, why bother? It's not, it's not to detract from DiMaggio or detract from Mays or detract from Williams or any of these guys. They're all great. That's why those lists are silly. But the, the criteria has to be this. To make that team at one time, you must have been the best player in baseball. Otherwise, I don't think you belong on that list. So that's why, to me, a Pete Rose would never be on that list. Because Pete Rose was never the best player in baseball, ever. He did it for a very long time. He played more winning games than anybody. He played more games than anybody. got more hits than anybody. He wasn't the best player ever. He wasn't ever the best player on his team. Mike Schmidt was better when he was in Philadelphia. Were John ben- Johnny Bench was and Joe Morgan were better when he was in Cincinnati. That's how you judge it. But again... You know, they cut the team to 26. Somebody left Mickey Mantle off, okay? I'm not going to leave Mickey Mantle off any team. That's just me. Uh, but, again, I'm not trying to start a fight about who's better between two players because it's a silly argument. Whether you want to do DiMaggio Williams, whether you want to do Mantle Mays, I mean, it, you know, and you know, or put Hank Aaron in there. How does Hank Aaron not make the team? But Hank Aaron never makes anybody's team. Joe in Jersey, what's up, Joe? Uh, Ira Staten Island, what's up, Ira?
1: Hey, Mike, what's happening? Boy, your shoe's so right, a blink of the eye, the summer's gone.
2: But, you know, uh, Ira, it's funny you called today because I saw something today and they were really rapping Sam Donald. And you know what I said is with the injuries, with the coaching, and with the lack of players around him, how, is they, how has anybody given Sam Donald a fair shake yet? I mean, who has played with worse talent around him than Sam Donald has for two years?
1: A hundred percent. Like I said, you can't make up the mind.
2: Look at this. Look at this year. Look. He, doesn't he have a great wide receiver core? Look at Tom Brady's wide receiver core this year, and look at Sam Donald's wide receiver core this year.
1: That's right, and you have, of course, and you know it's that. That's why to to get a fair evaluation of him up until now, it, it's just he he doesn't get one.
2: Doesn't it's not fair, and he's and his offensive line has been torn. Now they fixed the offensive line, but how about getting him somebody to throw the ball to? I
1: think they'll have somebody. Uh, I think something's going to go down. Who has
2: Tampa worse Tampa wide receivers right now than the Jets? uh
1: they're shaky at best. if anything, you, their slot receiver crowd is probably the best receiver. Yeah,
2: he's not bad, the but now. they don't have they have no dynamic. Look at Tampa's weapons Oh oh,
1: forget it forget about it. you know if they get the season started off on time, I think Brady Hey,
2: the numbers to he's going to put up, especially with the coach he's got calling the plays. There is no more aggressive play caller and down-the-field play caller than Bruce Arians in the NFL. That is going to be a lethal offense this year.
1: I mean, easily they should average over 30 points.
2: Oh, I don't think there's any question. You know, they were in the 30s almost every week last year. They will be there for sure. They are going to put up huge numbers this year. They
1: certainly will, but you know, I just want to get you on this one. Go ahead. You're talking about all the all the sports trying to get started. and I know right. it's a big hurdle right now, but the NFL's had a free ticket.
2: You know, yeah, they have
1: free agency. They had the draft, the schedule, all this. But now, I don't know if you saw it today, the players' association is putting up a little bit of a. Score. Yeah, they
2: don't want They don't want any preseason games.
1: There you go. And if you look at it, they're also spelling out the way they want camp. And if they want 21 days of conditioning, and then they got about. 10 days of unpaired practice, and about another 10 days of paired practices, you know, it's kind of pushing towards whether they're going to start on time. It's going to be
2: interesting to see. I'm telling you, I have never felt the NFL is going to start on time. I think the NFL has had in its back pocket to start on October 15th forever, and I think that's the smart move on their part. And look, I expect college to push. I expect the SEC to make the first move into spring with their season this year.
1: I think it's the smartest thing. Listen, we've discussed it the last couple of months. You and I, Mike. It's just you know.
2: You I'm back getting, up the clock. You got a better chance that they solve the problem.
1: A hundred percent, hundred percent. Get the vaccine out. Get these, guys, get these guys. You know, healthy. Get the kids back in school after January in college. You know, let them do the reverse. And you
2: know what I would do right now if I was the NBA. If I was Adam right now, I'd announce that season starts on. I announce that the season's over and the season starts on Christmas Day.
1: So you
2: you trashed the bubble? I I think the bubble's getting trashed anyway. You know what they're looking now at a secondary bubble. They've already lost a lot of money, and Indianapolis. I mean, and Orlando's going crazy. Well,
1: you know what? You're probably right. You're pro- and you know what? Baseball's going to struggle. I mean, listen. I would I would,
2: I would be I would be I if I was was the NBA, I would say you know what? I'm going to get so little out of this. And there's so many headaches. Look, did he close their thing today? And Orlando is raging right now. I mean, that's where they put the bubble. And now they're talking about having a, you know, the idea of maybe having a secondary bubble city and the idea that what happens if Orlando is raging with cases while they're playing? What about the people who are surrounding the area there? How many of them are going to get inside and contaminate the bubble? People who have to work there. People who have got to go inside and outside and travel there. And that city is putting up thousands and thousands of cases a day.
1: Yeah, you can't. You can't do it. And you know the players. You got twenty-year-old guys that are playing sports. They're going to go out. They're, they're going
2: to go out. And you got guys saying today that players start. You just saw Earl Adapo say he's not playing. And you got other players saying that at best they're cautious. At best, they're cautious about playing.
1: Well, you know what, Mike? If you could present me where we have a vaccine, Christmas time or January, and all these sports wait until the springtime to start, I sign on the dotted line. I think you know, know what? Modest thing for everybody.
2: I agree. You know, I listen, we all miss it terribly. I understand that. We we all can't wait to this games again. But the worst thing that could happen is that they stop and start. They start and stop. That could be that is the worst thing. Or one of these players gets very sick.
1: Oh, oh, God forbid! Oh, that that would be a disaster, a disaster.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, listen, I don't think we're there yet. I mean, we'll see. I, I you know, I think it's fifty-fifty whether we start. And here's what I'll say, though, uh, because I've been told this from pretty strong uh, places. If they start, they won't shut it down.
1: Well, they're going to take a lot of heat if things go bad. I can tell you that the the, the PR and the media well, will be. Ruthless, that I'm. If off a bit, something happens to somebody. It's you know, got to remember. You got a lot of coaches and managers. They're 65 years and older, and some of them got health conditions.
2: All right, you know, right now, right now, as of today, knowing what you know about the Jets, what's their record this year if they play a full season?
1: I'll go somewhere between seven and
2: nine, and eight and eight at best. Okay, but not not. You think at least seven wins.
1: Yeah, I think they could squeak out seven if they stay healthy. But it's so hard to project. You don't know what's going to be. But you know what? I, 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 you know what, Mike? I think
2: I'm going to hold up on that. Of course, I
1: don't think they're going to have enough time for the offensive line to gel. So I, I'd say between six and seven.
2: All right. Thanks, Ira. Uh Norman Peekskill, what's up, Norm?
0: Mr. Francis it is an honor to speak to you. My I've pleasure, thank you, you. Since the outset, since thank 1987. You. Thank you. Quick little story. Uh, you were talking about the spots with Imus, and I remember as a kid, 17 year old kid listening to you and Imus, falling off my chair listening to you guys going back
2: and forth. Wonderful. No. Great, yeah, we, we, had a, we had a lot of fun. We did.
0: Great, great radio. Um, you really inspired me over the years about your work ethic and your determination, and your confidence is awesome.
2: Well, I appreciate it, it. helped me because I'm a musician. I'm oh, vocalist. really? What, do you, just, what, 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 what instrument? I'm a vocalist.
0: So I, oh, okay. I play for a band called Whiskey Child, but I'm not going to plug them. Okay. Uh, right
2: well, now you can give them a, a plug. What, what's the name of the band?
0: A yeah. uh, band's called Whiskey Child. Okay. Okay. And we have a song called Hippie Girl on YouTube.
2: Okay. Whiskey Child. right okay. now. There you and, go. Uh, What's on your mind? It's
0: called Hippie Girl. Um, big Jet fan. Huge, huge Jet fan. But suffering, suffering Jet fan. Um, and uh, I believe, though, for what they've done and uh, for what, Uh, The GM has done uh, Mr. Douglas. He seems more competent than the last one that we had. I feel like the Jets can go 9-7. Well, listen, I think... The communication lines are good with, uh, you know, Gates and the uh, defensive
2: coordinator. I think the, uh, and thanks for the call, I think the offensive line is clearly much better. I think it could be markedly better. I think it also could be cohesive. I think he put role players there. I like guys who are versatile and tough on the offensive line. I think those are the guys he got. I don't need the best player on the offensive line. I need a bunch of guys who will play together, who like being a unit together, who have some camaraderie and are versatile, where they can jump into different spots for each other. If a guy's hurt, I can move over here, I can move there. I can play guard, I can play tackle. I can play guard, I can play center. You want to have that kind of versatility. You need it in your eight-man unit that you're going to have on that offensive line. I think that's there. I think that's improved a lot. Defense has a chance to be good. They still need an edge pass rusher. Uh, they, if they're healthy, they could be good on defense, although they're still a little lacking in the pass rushing department. And then on offense, they need a lot more firepower, a lot more to be fair to Sam. They just don't have a game-breaking player. They need one in the worst way. Back after this. All right, we're back. Squeeze a couple more calls in. Uh, Roscoe in North Babylon. Go ahead.
3: Yes. First of all, Mike, I just want to say thank you. I was in the Army as the head Army trainer for the recruiting battalion when you guys first came on. All we had was AM, FM radios. I drive from Fort Hamilton, sometime all the way out to the Hamptons or Riverhead. But man, listening to you guys on the radio kept us going. I did retire from the Army in 93. Right. Two shows I remember very well. One. When we had the conversation about Spalding and Pinky Pinky, oh yeah, uh, I, that's were, a great was one, the best one. Oh, man. That was probably the best
2: show i heard. Spalding, I Pensy, Pinky. That's it. I mean, those are, if you know stickball, you got to know both Spauldines and Pensy, Pinky, and you got to know the difference.
3: Oh, man. And listen, there were uh, different ways of playing
2: stickball. Some, Absolutely. Like, the wall at school. Some Absolutely. Did, like fastball. Well, but that, that was I a bad strike zone you. because, you know, the, uh, against the wall strike zone was bogus because you could throw it in high and then drop it into the strike zone.
3: That is correct. That is correct. I used to play at Christ the King. I think you and I may have been around about the same time. I graduated from Springfield Garden in 1970, and I went to St. George University. Uh, this was in 1970 before I went into the military.
2: Stickball is a lost art. You know, that. that is a lost art. <laughs> there was nothing better than stickball. Stickball was a great game.
3: Uh, and if you didn't play stickball, you played punchball. So, I mean, yeah,
2: it, 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 but stickball was the game. We loved to play stickball.
3: Absolutely. Another thing was y'all talked about, uh, well, I actually think it was a mad dog who was always complaining that you couldn't be a Yankee and a Mets fan. Well, I, I was a Yankee fan in 1960 and became a Mets fan in 1962. And I'm still a fan for both teams, the Yankees and the Mets. I'm a New York Well, fan. I can
2: tell you this. My brother John, who, br- who took me to Yankee games and was a huge Yankee fan, Cleet Boyer was his favorite player, and my brother John's a great baseball fan, but when, he, he, when Steinbrenner came to the Yankees, Steinbrenner rubbed him the wrong way, and he became a Met fan, and he's been a Met fan ever since. And wow. he, I can tell you, though, he breaks down in the World Series sometimes, and he can't root against the Yankees. I can tell it's still in his blood a little bit. Uh, but he is a, became a Mets fan and stayed a Mets fan all those years. But growing up, he was a huge Yankee fan. And you know, he used to take us to the games because he's uh, six and a half years older than me, so he used to drive us to the games. And he took me to a lot of games. Took me to games in 63. Took me to games in 64. Took, to, took me to doubleheader on Labor Day, 1964, with all his friends and they let me come and I, he was like you know sixteen going on seventeen. I was nine and took me with, with all his older friends to the games and we sat in the upper deck in left field as the Yankees swept the White Sox on Labor Day to move into first place in 1964. Never forget it. Can remember sitting there yelling at that left fielder who used to strike out all the time, uh, Nicholson. And sure, I, 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 everyone was yelling at him because he struck out like five times in the double header. Big Swish Nicholson, and uh, I remember it to this day. He took me to the Polo Grounds to see Pete Rose play. Uh, so he took me to uh, the uh, to Shea Stadium to see Willie McCovey play and the Giants and Willie Mays. So uh, thanks for the call. So I'm glad you're doing well, uh, and thanks for the memories. But uh, uh, so many times, and what we used to love to do, when he was old enough to drive, and it was him, and me, and I'm six and a half years younger than him, and then I was 18 months older than my brother Marty, who's deceased. John's still with us, doing very well. Um, he would say, let's go to the doubleheader. And we'd get up at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, and whether it was the Yankees or the Mets, we'd go, to the, go there, be there in time for batting practice. And they'd have batting practice before doubleheader in those days, unless it was very hot. Once in a while, they wouldn't have batting practice. But we'd get there, we'd buy seats, We'd get the best seats we could get, and we'd stay there till, uh, for the doubleheader and be there all day. And how good was that to see – two games of baseball, and I remember seeing the Giants in doubleheader. I remember seeing the Cincinnati Reds in doubleheader, the Pittsburgh Pirates. I remember Yankees-White Sox, Yankees-Twins. I remember going to games in 62, 63, 64 that way. So, you know, until he got old enough and then, you know, he was busy doing other things. Uh, But in all those early years, that I went to games, the times we got to go to games, it was him who took us, and we'd always go to the doubleheaders on Sunday. That was it because uh, we are get a little value for our buck, and we'd go and get two games, and we'd stay there for both games at a doubleheader, and we went, the three of us went a bunch of times. Uh, and those are, you know, really when you think about it, those are great memories. you know that. And I've taken my boys to games since they were three years old. OK, I've been I've been taking them to games together and they've been fortunate enough to be a lot of games. Uh, but I've been taking them to games with me since they were uh, three years old. Now they're 13 and 15 and they still love to go to games. So it's something that, you know, gets passed down generationally through the years. And, and listen, on the Fourth of July weekend, that's what it's about. It's about, you know, father to son. It's about baseball. And that's what baseball does. You know, it bridges those gaps. And it gives you something. You know, it's an old thing from the Billy Crystal movie where uh, in the uh, City Slickers movie when he says, you know, during the Vietnam War when I had long hair, my father and I couldn't talk about anything. We couldn't agree on what day of the week it was. We couldn't agree if it was daytime or nighttime, but we could talk baseball. And that's the common denominator. And, you know, it is something that is handed down. And that's something that baseball has that no other sport has. Those kind of memories are memories that last a lifetime. And listen, I remember going to a couple of football games when I was a kid, but you don't have those same kind of memories that you have at that time of year, being outside all day and going to ball games. You know, going to see the Indians and the Yankees. When I begged them to stay for three more innings, even though the Yankees were getting destroyed in the second game of the doubleheader, to see Mickey Mantle hit again. And watch Sam McDowell strike Mickey out on three more pitches. I think it was like the third time he struck out, it might have been the fourth time he struck out in that game. In the second game of the doubleheader, 65, I think it was. McDowell was un- unhittable. Uh, and just staying around to see him hit one more time, you know, and he stayed and let me watch him. So you remember those days very, very well. And I thank him for that because that's how we learned baseball. You know that? Uh, and that's how all kids learn baseball. All right, Casamigos Tequila, as always. Brings you the program. We thank you for that. JJ is next, followed by Steve Summers. Uh, congratulations to everybody who's coming back for the uh, fan weekend. So it's good to have everybody back as part of the team, even for a couple of minutes. Uh, enjoy the weekend, everybody. We'll see you on Monday. Have a safe and a happy holiday, and we'll see you then.
0: Tune in is the audio platform with something
1: for everyone.